Hey, amazing humans. I'm Danielle Boris, and I'm so excited you chose to join me for this episode of Unboxing Humans, the podcast where we unlock the human-to-human business model by uncovering what makes each of us a little weird. My guest today is Beth Hunter. Beth brings over 20 years of management and organizational experience with five years in experience management in a consulting environment. She liaises with clients serving leadership to staff engagement across business transformation, focusing on sales and service, pricing, and marketing. Beth enjoys connecting with other experience and resource managers to share best practices across companies' platforms and business environments because we truly are better together. Beth looks forward to continuing to learn, grow, and inspire in the experience management space. Well, Beth, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is very exciting. So for any listeners who don't know, what is experience management? Experience management is a role that coordinates work assignments that balance the needs of the firm and the client Um, And if you're crafty, the individual's needs as well. So it's aligning the right consultants to the right projects at the right time. And that's so interesting. And from my understanding, you didn't start out in experience management. Is that right? I did not. Um, So I was, oh, how did I land here? So I was 40 years old when I earned my bachelor's degree. Um, Did it while the boys were very small. Uh, For the kids that are listening, Uh, Do it when mom and dad are paying for it when you're 18, 19, 20, much easier that way. So by the time I earned my bachelor's, I already had significant work experience as well as um, leadership experience from volunteer positions I held in the community. Um, I was the president of our homeowners association. I was the president in our PTO and um, other moms organizations as well. And I'm married to an executive. So my husband, Jim, has uh, is retired now, living the life. Um, but he has spent his career building cable companies and managing people. So I have all these experiences um, kind of at the perfect time, put me in the perfect place where I could, I could serve in this capacity. So um, between parenting teenagers and the degree and the you know, married to Jim, um, it, was, it, it provided the confidence for me to continue to seek successively challenging roles. And I was in a role um, at my current company. um, It was largely an administrative role. And um, I made a friend who knew, made a friend who had a friend and I didn't even know that this role existed. Um, So I talked to the the leader about it and um, I was sold. I knew that this is, this made my heart sing and I knew that this is where I wanted to be. That's so interesting. I actually didn't know that about um, you finishing your bachelor's degree at 40. Yes. Were you working towards it since your twenties or it was something that you decided to go back to school for? All of that. So I was on the 20 year plan. So I'm like, I'm the well, I'm the most well-educated bachelor degree holder you'll ever know. So when I went (laughs) back to school, um, well, after we moved to Tennessee, there was a program for Bryan College, which is a, a Christian um, a Christian college in Dayton, Tennessee. And they had a program for adults that they took work experience and existing credits and put them together. And it was, I don't know, like 14 months long or something, but it was perfect. The way adults learn, it was 
uh, it was tailor-made for Beth Hunter. I was so grateful for this, this program. So once a week, like on Thursdays, I think, but all weekend was homework. And I would be in the office writing another paper and I could hear Jim and the boys you know, in the pool swimming or watching a movie or playing. And I, it was, it was took, I had to dig pretty deep to persevere and, and see that through. And I'm so grateful that I did because I realized how many doors it's open for me to have that piece of paper. It's really, really important. And just the satisfaction of, of having it, like checking the box, I'm a box checker from way back. So just checking the <laughs> box made me, it, it, it gave me enough confidence to go for those next higher roles. What was it about the degree that kept you going? Like when, when you heard your husband and sons playing, yeah. like, there had to have been something that aligned to you, right? Yeah. I think I, I knew that this was a good time in my life to finish it. It was a program that I could see the end of. And I wasn't changing my major again. It was going to be business. Um, I wasn't moving anymore. Like we were, he was building this cable company here and we were going to stay for a minute. Um, and I was stable. And I just knew that I knew for my development, I had to see it through. So I just kept, just, just kept pushing. Yep. Just felt something inside of you like, this is it. This is what it's supposed to be. And it sounds like from the story you told a little bit earlier that your conversation with your colleague, you also had that same feeling. What, what does that feel like to set like that sense of purpose almost? It was that sense of purpose. It was, it was a real aha moment for me because when I spoke to the leader, um, the America's leader for experience management at my firm, she and I clicked immediately, sort of like you and I did. Like right away, I knew no matter where this was going to go from a, a professional standpoint, I had a buddy, right? And then the next person that I talked to about the role said something to me that resonated with me. So my love language is words of affirmation. If you, if I, if I sense that you're listening to me and you like pat me on the head and tell me I'm good, I will follow you no matter what. Definitely loyal for that. And she said to me, we are a team here. We rise together, we fall together, but we are together. Mm. And it just made me feel so um, like this would be a good place to grow uh, from a professional development standpoint because it would be safe. And I hadn't felt that before um, in many years, but I had felt it once before. So I knew that it was out there. I just was, I was excited about the prospect of having it. And I knew um, enough about the role to understand I could truly be impactful with respect to other people's careers. And that's what made me, those, those things all together created the perfect um, backdrop for me to, to take this role. And how did you know that having an impact on other people's careers was important to you? I'm uh, unusually introspective and exceptionally sympathetic and empathetic. So I can see, when I walk into a room, I can almost feel if there's any tensions or synergies. Um, very good at that, very sensitive in that regard, which I'm saying now in a positive light, but you can imagine that also works, has worked against me in the past. I've always thought, wouldn't it be neat if I was 25 and I had a Beth? Mm -hmm. So I, when, I, when I interviewed for this role, somebody said, 
um, are you okay taking direction from people that are younger than you are? And I said, yes, I've raised teenagers. <laughs> I'm good at taking direction, making them think that it's direction that I'm taking, but spinning it so that it's a win-win for everybody. Um, so when I took this role and I had, I think a hundred people in my head count initially, um, I was very thoughtful about which project each person went to. Because if you think about staffing a project like spokes on a wheel and each of the spokes is a, is a human, right? If each human wants to be there, that's the project that's going to make them um, to the next level. They're gonna learn the thing that they wanna learn. They wanna learn um, how to do market segmentation or they wanna learn pricing analytics or underwater basket weaving, right? Like whatever it is. <laughs> If you can align that project, and, and a lot of things have to come together, right? Like the project has to be sold and available, right? Um, we have to have the other components. The client has to um, want the project and, and communicate that in a, in a legal manner. So all of these things come together. And if, if the projects align such that every person on that project wants to be on that project, think about how much better that team will perform as a high-performing team. And then the, the people are happier, the team is happier, the company is happier, the client is happier. And then, you know, client buys new work or refers us to, um, to another client and it perpetuates. So it's, it's paying it forward, but it's being very intentional about the alignment on the front end. I love that analogy of spokes on a wheel because the image that immediately came to my mind is even just one spoke being mm -hmm. a half an inch too short, right? Yeah. To, yeah. to meet the, the edge, right? To, to be plugged in. Mm -hmm. And it affects the entire team. Um, even if that's the spoke that's available at the time, right? If yeah. we're using the analogy of talent, right? Well, yeah. I just need this done, right? Well, I need this wheel finished. So yeah. who cares? I'll just plug this spoke here, but it doesn't fit. Um, Oh, I love that so much. And now for the rest of the day, I'm going to have like the image of the spoken wheel <laughs> journey. Um, and oh, thank you so much for, for saying that because it's so rare that we actually hear whether, you know, it's as an employee or, you know, as a leader, right? This idea of everyone can truly win together. Yep. And I'm curious, what factors you look for when you decide who should be on that project, which spokes fit perfectly into the wheel together? Communication is job number one. So um, I, I don't align people to projects without speaking to the people and without having the people speak to the project team. Um, that's very important because I have very little um, working functional knowledge about what my team members do when they get out there in the field. I don't understand how to do CPQ, configure price quote. It's a, one of the skills that they have. I have no idea how to do it. I can spell it, spell it. And I hope that there is, um, you know, means by which the, our company gets paid for it, right? Like internal processes are checked to do that. Um, but it's my job to think through the pool of people that are available and aligning them to the projects that are available at the at the right time. And sometimes that means um, asking a partner if the project can start a week 
sooner or a week later, right? And of course that's gonna involve um, communication with the client and, and we are at their behest because that's, you know, it's, that's really at the end of the day why we're, why we're all here. Um, but I do think it's, it's very, very important that there's communication. I think it would be very frustrating to be 25 and brand new in the business world and get an email from your experience manager that says, you know, congratulations, you've won your staff now on project X, Y, and Z. Bye-bye. I just don't think that that doesn't foster trust or communication or transparency. And I think in a team, my team now is 260 people. Um, we have to be authentic, have to be authentic. And it helps to be considerate. So <laughs> and sometimes I have to get in the middle and make sure that we're, we're all being considerate, um, but I lead by example. And I make sure that all of the, the spokes have, uh, have agreed to be part of the wheel before. Now, in part of like, let's be honest, right? Like we're here to make money. So sometimes you have to be part of a wheel that isn't exactly a right fit. And I'm sorry for you, but you will learn something in the process. And next time we'll, we'll try harder to make that. So flexibility works, you know, works both ways. What I'm thinking about right now, right, is something that I hear so often from leaders, never from you, but so often from other leaders, <laughs> which is, uh -oh. <laughs> um, well, they, of course, meaning they mean the employee, right? The employee has to have the right skill set. And how do I know if they have the right skill set or not before I put them on the project? Yes. And here, here I'm hearing <laughs> from you, right? Well, I don't, you know, work with them directly mm -hmm. on their skill set, right? You are independent of that. Yep. So how do you navigate knowing who has those skill sets? I assume with the project owners, maybe, mm -hmm. but also with what the team members are telling you their skill sets might be, maybe from a previous job or mm -hmm. um, some outside of work experience, like you, like you had, right? You had all these experiences that maybe weren't on your resume. Yep. Um, but that definitely impacted you. Yep. Um, that's a very good question. So when I first started this role and I knew, now I don't have any functional knowledge about what these folks do when they get onto their project, but then I didn't even know the vocabulary words. I mean, it was like alphabet soup and it was like I landed in a, in a brand new place. So I, um, you know, like, like any 50 year old would, I opened an Excel file and I just kept a list of things that Danielle is good at. And like, if you, any differentiators, like, did you speak any four languages or um, anything that would differentiate you, but also things that would be required in the normal staffing context. Like I need a staff or a senior with X, Y, and Z. In this way, if, when I had an Excel, I could just sort, you know, who has this and then cross-reference it by availability. Now I know this team, like I know my own family, um, so I don't rely on that so much. And on once a week, we have I call a staffing meeting with um, just me and the, the leaders in this in this group. And we look at the folks that are available and then they bring their projects. And that's where the supply and the demand you know, kind of come together and we're able to do that. And the partners after having worked with this team for many years, see like Danielle does this and Beth does this, right? So they sort of know um, the people that they've worked with before, if they would be good, good fits or not. It is challenging when we have um, new hires come in because they don't know what Susie has and they're so comfortable with Beth and Danielle. So mm -hmm. we remind them that this is a teaching hospital and 
they need to teach. Like you were a staff once too. And I like when I'm talking to the partners that are 50 or 40, um, it's been a minute since they were a staff. But I often ask them to, you know, like close their eyes and just remember what it was like on day one when you had to walk into this big place of all these hundreds of thousands of people and you were the brand new one and how important it was for you to shine and to prove yourself. And you wouldn't be where you are now if somebody didn't take you on their project or have, have confidence in you. So asking them to kind of pivot their frame of reference is, is very helpful. That's, that served me well there. Yeah, where would they be if someone didn't yeah. trust that they could do it? Just believe in them, right? And give them a chance. Um, that That's so true. And it is hard to remember, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's the curse of knowledge, or I guess in this case, yeah. the curse of experience, right? Yeah. As soon as you keep going, um, like, oh, I don't remember what it was like to be afraid to speak up or to not feel heard. Yep. I, I'm heard all the time. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, I actually saw an interesting study recently about um, who's living their purpose, who feels fulfilled at work. Mm -hmm. And it was 85% of senior leaders feel fulfilled in their jobs and yeah. that their jobs align with their sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. But only 15% of frontline workers and managers. It was the exact inverse. Wow. Interesting. And it really, it really stuck out to me because yeah. Um, when we feel something, I think as humans, it's natural to think, well, everyone else also feels this. Everyone else also knows this, right? Yeah. And we, nope. the idea that someone else could be having a completely different experience um, yeah. is, is sometimes really hard. I guess this is leading me to, you know, how do you convince them of this? You, know, you said close their eyes and, and imagine. Um, what well, are some other tactics that you use? <clears throat> tactics. Um, well, I mean, at the end of the day, right, we have this pool, this population. So it's it's somebody that you would select from this pool. And if if not, then there are mechanisms that we can we can leverage to look outside of the pool. Um, but it, it behooves them to find somebody in because then you know, they're training the talent that's under them that will continue to grow. Um, so we, we do in our model, it's an apprenticeship model. And they grow from one rank to the to the next. And for the the more junior resources, it benefits them to stay um, aligned to this group uh, because it's this population of leaders that will vie for their promotions, mm -hmm. right? So they need to be working with so that these people can contribute to their their feedback in a way that's constructive. Um, for the partners, how do they get convinced? I think they they get convinced because they're part of ideally part of the recruiting and the hiring process. So the people that they bring in are people that they've selected to, you know, to become um, part of the part of the larger team. And we share between and among, right? So it's not in, in my population, I have three sort of pillars within that. And within these three pillars, there's specialties. So there's marketing and there's pricing and there's sales and service. And the three go to market together um, often-ish, frequently-ish, sometimes-ish. Um, so we share resources between and among, and, and the the more junior the resource, the more fungible, and and that's kind of the fun thing because then you see the junior resources kind of picks the tribe like, oh, I really like um, Salesforce effectiveness, so I'm going to do this more, or I love this kind of 
implementation work, or I love this kind of strategy work, or I can't get enough pricing, or marketing makes my heart sing. And as they grow up in rank and they become more um, specialized and they promote, and then it's their job to teach the ones coming in. Um, I've been in this role long enough where I'm seeing um, senior managers that I had as um, senior, or that I had as staff and seniors. So now when we get new staff and seniors, my point of, hey, remember when? I'm like, I remember when, I remember. <laughs> so now I can speak with some, some uh, a better degree of authenticity about it. But um, I don't think it takes a lot of, uh, we, we are so robust in our recruiting process that we generally don't have people that, um, the convincing part is you don't know them yet. Right. So you don't know them yet. Yeah. I love that. You will. You will you will know them. You will know them and you'll love them just like you love the, the seniors that you have now. So and you know, we were talking about authenticity and all of this, you know, apprenticeship model, um, and how everyone really runs together. And it basically seems to come down to me of people first management, right? Of you but the humans in the right places, the spokes in the right pieces of the wheel, um, everyone wins together. Yep. I'm wondering what were the early signs to you that people first management was the best path forward like for the employee and the organization? Is there something either in your current role or earlier on in your career where you were like focusing on the people? That's, that's how we do it. So there's more staff and seniors and managers than there are partners. So if we're looking this, at this from a statistical perspective, and I want to have the most number of the people happy with me, right? I'm going to make happy the, the most number of people that I can. So if I have like 22 partners that are mad, but I have you know, 140 other people that think I'm doing a great job and are happy every time they talk to me, so my, my, the, what reinforced the behavior of people first is every time I talked to a staff or senior that was on a project that loved it, then that behavior was reinforced. Um, for the partner that said, I didn't want to take the, the young, the, the new staff or the new senior, um, after the project, the partner ended up usually really developing a relationship with that staff or senior. So the partners began to trust and the staff and seniors began to develop the relationship. And it, it just sort of developed more organically. I have heard of experience management where they don't do it um, as thoughtfully, where it's more of a chess game. And maybe that, that's an appropriate model when the skills are different. Um, but in this team where the skills are so varied, it really is important to be strategic about the alignments. Um, and I've been afforded that I, it's, it's worked out so well that I have been because then everybody's happier. So even if it takes a little bit longer, everybody's happier and it's a better product and the client's happier and, and we make more money in the long run. So that's what's been able to reinforce the behavior. You've seen quite literally when you align people, everyone wins the, the money your org does better. Yeah. Um, and then I trust even right, your, your leaders say to you, how are you doing it at your organization? Do most experienced managers perform this way, the same way as you, or are you doing things differently? It's an interesting question. 
my real answer is I don't know. I mean, I'm, I only know what, what I do, right? Um, it, I think that it depends on the work being performed. So if you're talking about a population that is maybe data and analytics, where it's like financial modeling and um, the more nuanced the work is, I think would benefit the more strategic the alignment. Um, I think most, it, I mean, I, I work with people who I respect a lot, not just in my team that I manage, but in my, my cohort experience management group. And I think they are as, as sensitive as their leaders allow them to be with respect to aligning resources to projects. And that depends on a whole ton of things like, like the economy for one, right? So just in the last couple of months, we've seen a dip. So you see our leaders are a little bit, um, you know, cautious, right? Um, so we want to be, we want to factor in all of the things that we can as we make these decisions. And if, if we're selling work that the staff and seniors like, that's a lot easier to get their buy-in. And if we're selling work that, you know, that they don't love to do, then it's, it requires a little bit more you know, finesse, but there again, we're here to make money. So sometimes you just need to do it, you know, and they understand that because I'm so sensitive usually, right? So that's how the flexibility works. And I, I have this conversation a fair amount with leaders, right? Of what happens if I can't give a team member a project that they want? So that's always going to happen, right? In every job, we're going to have to do stuff we don't like, but it's managing that conversation back to, I guess, your original point, right? The number one way you do it is communication um, and saying you're seen, you're heard. I can't give it to you this time, but I will give it to you next time. And because you do that, they mm -hmm. trust it. And then they're even more excited and even more loyal. They, they believe. Yep. And, um, and it's interesting what you said to me about even you know, within that conversation, explaining that they'll learn something because even if I guess they're the ex, they're available resource, if they're the available resource, then they know that you've chosen them as the available resource for a reason versus maybe another available resource, right? You're you're always trying to align as much as possible. Yep. Yep, for sure. Everybody gets it just makes more sense for everybody to have a vote. What if we had 10 people that were available and I just, I aligned them alphabetically. Okay, let's just say that they got aligned alphabetically. And, and the first four people in that list really didn't like the project, but the last, you know, the people five through 10, it would have been, made them so happy. Well, how much extra does it cost to ask them, hey, of you 10, like who wants to do the thing? Doesn't cost you any extra money to ask that question. And you will learn something about the people in the responses. So just stop and listen, really listen to what people are saying, because they will tell you a lot about themselves. See, Beth, this is why I love talking to you, because no one has ever put it to me in the way you just did of we're all, you know, the business is focused on money and the business, you know, we have to make money. So how much extra money does it cost to ask people what they want? It's like truly nothing, but truly it nothing. could I mean, save you, not only save you money if they leave, right? Um, this, right? The statistic now is one and a half times to two times someone's salary to replace mm -hmm. them. Yeah. But it even makes, makes you as the business more money 
because yes. they're going to do better work and the client is going to be happier. And it leads me to, you know, to, to ask you, right, about this idea of, well, are, isn't someone going to still deliver the work no matter what, right? Like, why do they have to be happier? And to me, and you tell me if I'm right, to me, it's because the clients are people too, right? You can tell when you're on a call, if your team that you're working with at this consultancy is actually excited to be on your project and yeah. on your account, sure. or if they're sort of dragging their feet and who really wants to work with a client where everyone is like, yeah, 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 this is what we're going to do. Exactly. Exactly. Look at our, our relationship. For example, when I see you on zoom, you're happy to see me. So that makes me want to call you again. Right. If, if when we connected, you were, you know, forlorn and sort of, you know, downtrodden, I wouldn't be as excited to reconnect with you, right? Because that's how humans are. And in the employee-employee relationship is no longer transactional. It's, it's transactional when it comes to the, the money piece, right? But we are also investing in the employee. So it's not just what the employee gives to us, and you know, you make this many widgets per hour, and then I pay you X. Um, it's you make this many widgets, and then I teach you how to build a canoe valve or whatever else the next <laughs> thing is, right? So, what are we doing to invest in them as humans? It's nature to want to grow and learn more, right? I'm the nosiest person on the planet Earth, which is probably why I'm so good in this role and so effective, is because I remember all the things because I'm just nosy by nature. When we hire people, I go to Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram, and my kids try to teach me how to Snapchat. That's above my pay grade, but I do all the <laughs> social media things to like check out the people that are we are hiring so I know more about them. Um, because in being nosy, I can be more thoughtful. If I know what kind of things you like to do in your, like, you know, what if you really like to work out, then you might like a project for um, uh, an athletic brand, right? Yeah. If, um, if you're a foodie, maybe then you'd like to do a project that's related to consumer products retail in the food industry. So just having this background knowledge and being truly thoughtful about how we can not be purely transactional in our relationship employee to company, um, how we can make that bigger, better, fuller, and more satisfying for all parties involved, because then that um, I would endears us to each other isn't the way I want to explain it, but um, ingrains us, deepens the bonds, makes us feel more connected for the long haul. And that's, that's my end game. And there are so many things that I want to dive into from what you just said. And the first is the end, the long haul, right? And yeah. I feel like often we get so caught up in this short term mm -hmm. and when you're in it for the long haul especially in like a client partner relationship mm -hmm. it's okay if you have a bad quarter right because the team yeah. is what will keep you there um it's almost like just as anyone at work right it's okay if you have a bad day or a bad week yeah. um if you know that everyone is in it together, right? Um, and so I speak to other consultancies just in my in my daily life with my business, right? And they, you know, say, well, the most we just have to meet their number, otherwise they'll drop us. 
and that to me, I'm like, if you have clients who are constantly dropping you because you miss the numbers once, that tells me a lot about your team and the, like how you're aligning your team to the right client because missing the numbers every single time is one thing, but once, I don't know if I have a great team and I really believe in them and I feel connected, like I'll probably stick with it for at least another time, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I said like, that's even more important. You're missing the bigger picture. You're losing out on money and it's a totally solvable problem. When I you know, came of age into work, um, what a weird way to say that, when I got my first job, uh-huh people were trying to really hide their social media from their employer because they said, oh, I don't want my employer to know, like, you know, I need to keep these lives separate. But we are all one person. And so much of the inspiration I got, especially in my first job, would come from a lot of things outside my day-to-day work. And I would then go into the office and say, I was watching this really interesting segment um, on the news about how many people are buying clothes for their dogs. Mm-hmm. Have we ever considered that for our business? We had this whole e-commerce franchise, right? And I, you know, said I want to do all the research on it. And if people knew how much I love pets, I'm I'm a huge animal person. Not necessarily a huge dress up your animal person, but a huge <laughs> animal person. <laughs> um, you know, they would have said, oh, maybe there's an opportunity for Danielle to explore something with, you know, how our company can allow animals. And when we just look at someone's job title. We miss all of the yeah. other humanness. Yes. yes. I'm curious. I, I'm not just a mom. I'm not just Max and Jimmy's mom. I'm not just Jim's wife. I'm not just the experience manager. Um, I'm not just the Sunday school teacher. I'm all of these things. And, and that's what makes the human, right? That's what makes the human. And if we aren't considering that holistically, then we're really doing ourselves, our clients, our teams, and our companies a, an enormous disservice, but you know who gets the shortest end of that stick is the individual. We have to, and I think now, so I've been in the workforce for, well, a hot minute, and I've seen now that companies are, they, they genuinely hire with that in mind. Most companies, right? I'm not talking about like, you know, mom and pops, or and I'm, not, I'm not segmenting that statement into any particular like big box store or not big box store or corporate America or what I'm saying. We are, we are realizing more and more that hiring the person means hiring the whole person and embracing that from um, a leadership standpoint because that's good. You don't just want the, this part of the person, you want the whole Part of the person. It, it benefits everybody. It benefits everybody to consider that. I mean, how boring of a place would it be if we just were rubber stamping? I mean, there's no fun in that. Look, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, I mean, we, we all have we all have to do things in our jobs that are a little bit less than fabulous. Right before this call, I was doing some reporting, which I just don't love. I just don't love it. I, um, I very much dislike it. If I could spend my day aligning people to projects that make their heart sing and somebody else took care of all of the administrative paperwork and the utilization calculations and the analysis, what if this and what if that, the world would be a fabulous, wonderful place. But I can't just pick and choose the things of my job that I have to do 
because like I'm paid a salary, the whole salary. They don't just give me like this much of the salary for this much of the things I like to do. They give me the whole salary, which covers even the yucky stuff that I don't like. If I didn't have to work, I would be out paddle boarding with my dog. I would be running. I would be digging in my yard. I love to like the dirtier I can get, the happier I am. When I come back inside and I'm just covered in mud and sweat and it's totally gross. I'm so happy, so happy. I would spend all my days like that. I have a friend who has a golf course and I tease her all the time. I'm like, if your husband would just hire me to go play in the dirt all day long, I would love that. <laughs> but we have jobs that include parts of the jobs that we don't like, but it's that piece of the job that doesn't, that we don't love so much. That's what builds the grit. That's what makes us appreciate more the things when I do get to paddleboard with Ella or when I do get to spend my time staffing and not calculating and playing in Excel, it makes those times so much sweeter when we are doing the things that we really, really love. And when we're doing the things that we don't love, we are totally learning. We are totally, my brain is getting wired to, you know, um, alt NV builds a pivot table. <laughs> that, it frightens me that I even know that in my, like I can just come up with that right now. Um, but I've, I've learned so many things, not just little tasks like that, but um, things that have changed my worldview by virtue of doing the things that I don't really like. We have to do them. We have to do them. I wish that you could play this podcast and everybody would be like, oh, I would love an experience manager like that. It just seems like rainbows and unicorns and pixie. I mean, it seems fabulous. It, I would make it as fabulous as I can. Um, but there are things that we have to do that we don't exactly love to do, but the key is to listen to each other and be self-aware and be sympathetic and empathetic enough so that we're investing in each other as a team. I think what's even like really at the root of it, like, you know, basically it's all relative, right? It is sort of what you're saying. And I would even venture to say, if you did lean into digging the dirt all day, right? Um, and that was what you did. You, you just, you're sitting here, I love it. I want to spend all day doing it. You would suddenly say, well, I really hate this part of it, right? Because like, right. what's your sole focus? And, yeah. you know, I experienced that, you know, in being an entrepreneur. And then, you know, I experienced it again when I became an author. And I was like, I love this. I love this, love this. Oh, now that I'm really, really focused on it, I really don't like this part yes. that I never considered before because I love it all so much. Yes. And then, you know, happening, I said, I love writing. Oh my God, what am I doing with my life? I should just be a full-time author. You know, I, uh -huh. I had those moments because I loved it so much. And then, you know, after I focused on it for a little while, not full-time, but, you know, the more I got into it, the more I was like, I'm so glad I'm not a full-time author yeah. because there's so many parts of it that, I, you know, get to now balance with being an entrepreneur and all and being a podcaster and all the other things that I get to do, yeah. um, which just adds to the happiness, right? It adds, yep. I get to do more, so many things and each one of them has so many pieces that make me so happy and mm -hmm. that I enjoy so much and that really give me energy. Yep. Um, Don't you have more respect for authors now that you've written a book because now you, it's not all as glamorous as you thought because now you've been digging in the weeds. Yeah. And, and you know what? And I also recognize, right, that 
I enjoyed specific parts of the author journey, right? Yeah. But the author sitting next to me did not enjoy all of the same parts as me. Yes. So even though we both have the same title of author, yeah. right? Even let's say nonfiction business leadership book author. Yep. We did not enjoy the same parts of the process. Yes. And it gets me, it's equivalent to me of just a job title, right? Um, just because we have the same job title doesn't mean we're the same person and doesn't mean we're totally interchangeable because we are, every single one of us is unique. Every single one of us has had our own lives, our own experiences. And I just love this so much is that no two people are the same. That's right. It, That's right. It, even identical twins, right? They're, they do not have the same experiences, which makes us fundamentally different. Um, and you have found a way to systematically, you know, really get to know that person and harness their individuality for the benefit of them and the, you know, project leaders and the organization. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that so much. I love talking to you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate you giving me a, a platform to, um, to share how much I really enjoy my role. And I hope that it inspires other people who are maybe considering a, a move into a role like experience management to, to pursue it because I've, I found that it's very, very fulfilling. Oh, I feel like every leader has an element of experience management. The thing that I love the most about the role is my ability to hone in and be intentional and to really listen and, and understand, to seek to understand. And you don't have to be an experience manager to seek to understand. You know, in, in your connections with people day to day as you're you know, flowing through your, your work day and your home life and parenting and, and extracurriculars, um, be present and thoughtful and ask questions to, not to make your point, but to understand somebody else's perspective, because that will, through that is, is just significant growth and, and um, through that comes so much fulfillment. Beth, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unboxing Humans. Check out our show notes for more information about our guest, and don't forget to subscribe.